Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. If you're watching on YouTube, sorry for the two intros, but I did, like I said, forgot to hit the uh, record button when we're recording the podcast, which is the main version of this show. I know we do a lot of different shows. This is a podcast that we do a simulcast on YouTube. So thank you everyone for watching uh, on our YouTube channel over at Inside Troy. Please smash that like button. Um, yeah, and uh, we love doing that. I'm here with uh, Connor Morissette. Sitting alongside of me, you can follow him on Twitter at C under Morissette. You call him Triple Double because there's two R's, two S's, and two T's. Uh, crunched around two E's there too, so maybe it could be a quadruple <laughs> double. But uh, yeah, that's so. Uh, Connor's here, and we're going to talk about USC football. It is Stanford Week. We got to do a little recap of what was going on for the University of Southern California versus Nevada. Sixty-six uh, fourteen. That beatdown win. If you have any questions or comments for the show. You can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call or text us at 424-254-9141. And if you have that Apple Podcasting app, uh, we'd love a review. Uh, leave us a five-star uh, customer review. Uh, subscribe over there. You, they call it follow over on the Apple Podcasting app. You can follow us, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. So we do appreciate that. Tell your friends at the water cooler at work, hey, man, you guys should go check out the uh, Parasol Podcast. We've been doing this since 2008. Connor hasn't been around that long. What year did you come here? Full, just to, <laughs> to California, or when did I start working no, like for with, you? Yeah, yeah. For, uh, for the site, for the podcast. For the podcast, this is probably what my like fourth episode. I think so. Uh, maybe like, like you. It's almost two months now, right? A uh, couple more weeks till I get to two. Okay, months. so you're like a six week. Yeah, up. six weeks. So not since 2008, but Connor's been around. <laughs> He's very popular. Oh, you're too um, kind. We, you get a lot of, it's funny, you and Jack both get a lot of compliments. And they were, uh, if you guys check out the site, uscfootball.com, uh, Connor did a instant analysis video on Tuesday after practice. And uh, I always get a lot of positive feedback. They like the new guys. Maybe there's the, the us old guys they just don't want to see anymore. Yeah, just wait till I settle in, then the oh, nice yeah. words will stop. Well, you, the more you get to say, then the more <laughs> yeah. people go, he said this. I didn't agree with that. And then anytime you say something they don't like, they're going to remember that. So that's, I got many years of that, Connor. So <laughs> I got some, I got some uh, mileage on you there, but uh, we have a fun show for you today because we do want to look ahead to uh, the Stanford Cardinal conference play is coming up. Uh, we were at practice on Tuesday. Got to see sort of what was going on. And then uh, we got some injury news. We got to get to what's unfortunate. And all of that, but a lot of exciting young players on this uh, defensive side of the football. We got to hear from some of them yesterday. Before we jump into any of that, I do want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Who I forgot to even mention last week. My apologies uh, for that. That over at Trader Joe's, uh, Connor. I don't know. I know you're a fan. Uh, I went over. I had a friend over, and uh, you know, I went fishing. Caught a bunch of bluefin tuna, but I also caught so, a bunch of rockfish. We had. Limits of bluefin tuna. So we got these monster rockfish, which are great for like fish tacos um, or, you know, fish and chips, things like that. It's like a good, you know, hearty white fish. And I uh, went over, I think salmon grouper is the, the ones we tried. And I, so I had some, thought some out. My friend came over, 
she had stopped by Trader Joe's and just bought like the store out, like all this kind of stuff. Uh, but to make like sauces and uh, you know some of the, the cabbage slaw we used on top of the tacos. Uh, but it was like every, it was so funny. I'm like, this is like a Trader Joe's commercial, like in my kitchen. Like this is like everything in here. But the the appetizer we did like these uh, ghost pepper potato chips, um, which are uh, like a lattice cut and uh, the, a caramelized onion dip. And I love onion dip. I like I sometimes I buy the onion soup mix and mix it with uh, sour cream and make the dip. But this was like pre done Trader Joe's onion dip, and those chips are pretty hot. So I don't know if you like spice, but they're you know they're for potato chips. They're like, well, this is pretty spicy. Uh, but I just want to point those out. That's a snack I haven't had at Trader Joe's, and I will have, I will have again for sure. I know the mac and cheese bites are really popular. Oh yeah, especially with some of my friends from college. And I know I was at the wedding. We've talked about it a lot, but I missed the first game to be at a wedding, and a lot of those guys from college. Uh, we, we didn't have any of the mac and cheese frozen bites, but we were talking about them because they were such a big hit when we were back in school. And I have said it before, too. I'm a huge fan of the peanut butter filled pretzels. I can't get enough of those. You get them in any other grocery store. They don't taste the same. No. Yeah. So I, I got some in the uh, in our little closet over here. So oh, I didn't. I, I didn't know. I that. think so. Uh, I have some at home. If not, I'll bring them in. So uh, from uh, Trader Joe's. All right. Well, thank you to Trader Joe's again. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening or watching on our YouTube channel. We do have some unfortunate uh, breaking news that when we heard from Lincoln Riley on Tuesday, uh, he said that uh, Gino Quinones would miss the rest of the season. You remember he got uh, he went down in the game uh, against Nevada and then came off the field and was carted uh, back to the locker room. Now, he was seen in a photo when they did. I think Josh Hansen did a photo with everybody. But uh, yeah, so Gino's going to be out for the rest of the season was in the mix for the starting, you know, one of the starting guard spots. And, you know, as you guys saw, they were using different offensive line combinations. But maybe, I mean, I don't want to say more importantly, but as important, he was the backup center. Um, so, I mean, they had to walk on uh, as the backup, you know, the center in the rest of the game when Gino went out. But, uh, Connor, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on uh, Gino Quinone's uh, unfortunate. He had such a heartfelt, you know, moment uh, when he was interviewed the week before. Man, it's just it's a, that's a tough one to see him go down. Such a nice kid from Hawaii. He was brought to tears when he was asked what it meant to play in front of his dad because coming from Hawaii, his dad didn't get an opportunity to attend many USC games, and that was so emotional. And you're right, Ryan, so unfortunate. The next week, his dad was at the San Jose State game. The next week against Nevada, Gino gets hurt, and it's a big loss. You mentioned the backup center effect. It also has a big effect on the guard spots because it's not listed like this on the depth chart. But if one of the guards did go down for whatever reason, I imagine that Gino would be the first guy off the bench. He's listed as the backup right guard, but at left guard, it seemed to me like he had beaten out Alani Noah in terms of being Emmanuel Prenion's backup. And Noah, after starting against San Jose State, he sort of took more of a backseat against Nevada. So a big loss in that regard. The competitive depth that Lincoln Riley has talked so much about, Gino Quinones was maybe the poster boy for that competitive depth. He could have started at guard at a number of programs in the country, chose obviously to stay at USC and... If one of those guards did go down, he's a guy who could rely on, could come in and play well. I thought he played really well last year when he got an opportunity. So it's a big loss. Not one of the starters. He didn't start against Nevada, but a guy you could certainly rely on. And now I'm really concerned if someone goes down at right guard, Jarrett Kingston, the starter, goes down at right guard after Quinones. I don't know where USC turns. That's one of the biggest things I'm going to be looking at when the depth chart comes out tonight. Who's listed now as the backup right guard with Quinones out? Yeah, we should get that tonight. And uh, I think the one good thing when we talked about, you know, early on, like, hey, you got the Heisman Trophy winner. Why are you trotting out like different offensive lines every series? And I think 
Against San Jose State, it was three different offensive line combinations in the first four series. And then against Nevada, it was three. The first three were all different, um, you know, slightly different or whatever. We saw some Mason Murphy come in. You know, they were just mixing things up a little bit. But the guard spot was definitely in flux. But having, you know, Alani Noah get, you know, playing time and get a start. I mean, that's probably going to help you there. So I guess the one advantage of you were trying a bunch of different offensive line combinations. Um, and so, you know, one guy goes down. At least there was other people that were already doing it. It's not like he was the main guy. If you lose Dietrich or Monheim, that's a different story, I would say. Certainly, especially Dietrich, Monheim, too, of course, as the left tackle. But those guys were the stalwarts. But I, I get really nervous about Adidas injury now, Dietrich injury now, too, because your backup center is a walk-on and Killian O'Connor. And Lincoln Riley did talk about on Trojans Live Monday night how last year they learned a lesson about not having as much depth at center as they would have liked. So he seemed pretty confident that if, God forbid, something did happen to Dietrich, that the team would be okay. But it's a walk-on right behind him. And then he said other guys on the line have taken snaps. But then you're moving pieces all around. So you're right. In that regard, it's nothing's a positive with an injury, but at least it wasn't one of those two stalwarts on the O-line in Dietrich and Monheim who go down with the season-ending injury. But it's a, it's a big loss for sure, just because he wasn't one of those first five guys. You always need competent play in the offensive line, and that's what Gino brought. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mentioned, like, you know, Alani Noah, were, you know, he, true freshman, end up getting the start, was a little surprising uh, over Emmanuel Pregnant, and, uh, you know, maybe that's like lighting a fire uh, under him. But they've, you know, they've got some some depth there. And, you know, I think there's other guys that could potentially – that weren't in that initial rotation that could potentially step up now. And they might, you know, you might see them a little bit more because now you, you have Gino kind of out of there, but it's conference play starting this week. So, you know, maybe this was the week they were, they were kind of penciling in for, we're going to pick our starting five or something like that. Um, I don't know, but it definitely changes things up a little bit. You know, Lincoln Riley didn't, you know, obviously you never want to see a player get hurt, uh, but someone that's like, well, liked like that, I think it, it was a little tougher, you know? Certainly. And how USC started on the offensive line against Nevada is how I believe they're going to start going forward. So Monheim at left tackle, Prenyon at left guard. I'm saying Prenyon because Katie, the SID over at USC, said that's how you say it, but he doesn't mind if people say Pregnon. So if people. I think he, Lincoln Riley said Pregnon yesterday. He, he did. So maybe I should go with that. <laughs> but I, I think technically it's supposed to be Prenyon. We can have a talk next break, Ryan, about how we're going to pronounce it going forward. So yeah. he's at left guard, center Dietrich. Right guard, Jarrett Kingston, right tackle, Michael Tarquin. That's how USC started against Nevada, and that's how I think they'll start moving forward. That seems to be the best five. That was the best five everyone anticipated after all the transfer portal right. action. So I think it'll be that going forward. And, of course, Quinones wasn't a part of that five, and now he won't be a part of the unit going forward. He wasn't a starter. Huge loss nonetheless because he could fill so many spots. Yeah, he's, the versatility. I mean, you see John Monheim now. He was a very versatile guy. He could play center too. He took some snaps. I don't think you're going to see him do that. Uh, but you know, that's uh, he did take some snaps, and everyone was like, "Why were you doing that?" And he was like, "Oh, just in case." Yeah, uh, that, but if you need your left tackle to play center, there is probably a bad idea. At uh, least Mason Murphy can play tackle at a competent level. So I guess in case of emergency, if Monheim did have to go to center, yeah, have I mean, he Mason started, Murphy uh, who started some games there. But yeah, not. I mean, it's not ideal. Certainly, Ko says. Uh, Fight on, boys. Where's Chris at today? So, yeah, so we've our lineup is a little bit different. Um, thanks for the, uh, yeah, so everyone in the chat, I'm trying to, like, look at your comments and put them up on the screen. And if you have a question, put a question in there, and I'll start, and we'll try to get to it later. We don't have a lot of questions, so if you do want to get a question answered, this would be a perfect day to do that. Um, so Chris and 
So Chris and I used to do the podcast, and now we got Connor here. So Connor and I are doing our podcast. So it's a kind of the main show. We're continuing this on. Um, Chris is doing two other podcasts. He does the Helium Boys with Shotgun. That comes out on Tuesdays. We're doing this podcast on Wednesdays, sort of middle of the week one. Thursdays, there'll be the Composite Two-Star Recruits podcast uh, with Gerard. And that's a recruiting version of this, but that's Gerard and uh, Chris Trevino. And, uh, you know, I'll do one uh, with Harvey Hyde, usually Sunday or Monday, kind of right after the game. And then we have Thursday night and Sunday night tunnel visions. So those are live shows uh, that we're doing. So there's a lot um, sort of going on with that. But yeah, so Chris and I technically aren't doing a show show together uh, unless we're on tunnel vision together. So, but that, and that, that lineup kind of changes, but uh, we got a lot of, we got a lot of talent here. So we kind of mixed it up a little bit. You're too kind. I did see a question in the chat about the backup guards. So Prenyon, I think, will start at left guard going forward. Alani Noah is his backup. The right guard backup, we talked about it a second ago. That's a that's a guess right now. I wonder if Cooper Loveless would factor in there. He's played a little bit of tackle against San Jose State, though, so maybe he's more of a tackle instead of a guard. I do not know who the backup right guard is, and that's why I want to see the depth chart come out tonight to, to see who is in that position. USC is really thin there. It's a concern for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like overall, like when we talked about the offensive line, it's a it's a deeper group. And before there were guys that were just like, there's no way those guys could come into play. They literally were just filling up out of uniform, you know, like it's just they weren't going to be dudes. And there's a lot more dudes like like Alani Noah is not someone that you thought like, OK, he's going to be in the mix right away. So they could go to like a freshman, like maybe you don't want to. But there's, you know, there's some big guys, good feet, strong. Um you know, I athletic. And so I feel like you can, if you had to, had to, you could go down, but you're probably playing someone that's not like, you know, prepped and ready for college football yet, but they would have been like in six months or a year or something. So that might be a little bit more of a stretch, but I feel like before, you know, two years ago, you were going to put someone in there that was never going to be like a, a, you know, high level or, or just above average pac 12 offensive linemen and that's just kind of what USA had on the roster now you don't have that uh you're just trying to get some of these guys ready though and something every offensive line coach does you determine the best five regardless of like the depth chart like Elijah Page is listed as the second left tackle but if Jonah Monheim goes down I imagine Michael Tarquin or Mason Murphy or Jarrett Kingston who's played a little left tackle one of those three gives you a better left tackle gives you better left tackle play than a true freshman in Elijah Page. And when we asked Coach Henson about Elijah Page at Media Day, saying, you know, he's the backup left tackle, is, is he ready? He said, we think he's ready, but he might not be part of the, if someone goes down, part of that best possible five. We may have to flip some guys around. So with that in mind, Quinones could play right or left guard. So if Jarrett Kingston, who's your starting right guard, gets hurt, maybe Emmanuel Pregnon, who played a lot of right guard at Washington, then slots over to right guard from left guard, and Alani Noah would come in at left guard. Maybe that becomes your best five. So whoever is listed on the depth chart, that'll be interesting to see. But if it's Cooper Loveless, for example, or a, a true freshman, if Kingston did go down, God forbid again, then it might not be the backup who's listed on the depth chart who comes in. Yeah. I love this offensive line talk. I could do this all day. No, it's good. and it's But it's a much better spot than you were in a couple of years yeah. ago. Yeah, and, and I yeah, and I just I, I was responding to, to the YouTube commenter, but to respond to what you said, Ryan, absolutely. You had guys who just weren't ready to go last year, and now you have a lot of players who are ready. There are a lot of true freshmen, though, and you don't necessarily want to have to throw those guys in. Right. There. And some of them, you know, the fact that Alani Noah started game one was – 
kind of a head scratcher for yeah. all of us. We're like, oh, okay. Um, but that just shows, you know, what you have. And, uh, and I think Josh Henson has been a good, you know, done a good job of developing guys. So I think this is a, the offensive line is a much better place this weekend. You know, you'll get a little bit of a test um, with, uh, with Bailey, um, the David Bailey, yep. David Bailey. Yeah. So we'll talk about that, but I wanted to like go back just for a little bit with the Nevada game. I know we've had talks about it on different podcasts and, and shows and stuff, but you and I haven't really got to kind of discuss it too much. Um, you know, 66, 14 sort of take care of business, uh, what you want to see out there. I think we, we were talking in the press box and all of us again had picked USC to cover like the 38 point spread. And we're, you know, when you trot out there and see, um, you know, the two starting linebackers are out, uh, in, uh, Mason Cobb and Eric Gentry. And then, oh, by the way, Taka Curtis goes out early and still really didn't miss a beat. And I, I feel like that was a good sign overall that there were key pieces definitely missing on the defensive side of the ball. And it was an overmatched opponent for sure, but they they took care of business. They did what they were supposed to do. The offense looks ridiculous. And, you know, sometimes they have some weird series where they just throw deep balls that are low percentage or whatever. But, um, you know, I think you come away from that outside of the Gino Quinones injury and be like, okay, you know, if you were fully healthy, that's exactly what you want. Um, but it was pretty close. Those are your fourth and fifth linebackers playing really well against a Division One team. And Nevada, obviously is not very talented. And I do the PFF grades for uscfootball.com every week. Five of the top six top-graded defensive players for USC were defensive linemen, guys who were going up against the Nevada offensive line, which just is not very talented this season. So I think that had something to do with it. But you're right, Ryan. How can you not be satisfied with what you saw? I would wonder if some of the teams ranked around USC in the AP poll, if they had to rely on their fourth and fifth linebacker against a team like Nevada, what it would look like. Would there be more breakdowns? Would it be a little bit different? That's a question I certainly had. You have to be really satisfied with what you saw. Shane Lee played like a man possessed, double-digit tackles. Rajon Davis, the speed that he has really stuck out to me. I hope that Rajon Davis continues to get some run this week against Stanford. It looks like some guys might be back in the linebacker group, so we'll see how that all works. But uh, I think Rajon Davis certainly earned an opportunity, and it's interesting to see Shane Lee when we do see practice, he's still not really in the mix in terms of those first two groups of linebackers, and Rajon Davis is now, so maybe he will get more of an opportunity. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, Shane Lee's just been a great leader, yeah. uh, and I thought he played really well. Yeah, you know? me too. And I feel like you might see more rotation there, um, but the fact that you could just throw those two, you know, basically those two guys, and then Chris Thompson Jr. for a little bit, and you know, there wasn't, there they didn't really miss a beat, so. And I thought Shane Lee, one of the criticisms is it didn't seem like some of the sideline to sideline stuff. He was able to move all that well last year, but looked like he was moving really well. And that's, I mean, I don't think you just for opponent there. I mean, he just was getting to places where maybe last year he wasn't getting there, you know, and I think being healthy helps. He got banged up a little bit in fall camp. Um, you know, he's playing with a club last year towards the end of the season, but he's someone that you, it's hard not to root for when you talk to, you know, about Shane Lee. Certainly. To me, he looks 100% the healthiest he's been in a while, and I think that played a big role in why he did so well. Another interesting thing with the linebackers, Ryan, is Tackett Curtis gets ejected in the second quarter. The first game against San Jose State had a couple tackles, but looked like he just wanted to make a play. He kind of looked like a bull in a china shop a couple times, not really making a play on the ball, just kind of running up the field and, and getting swallowed up by blockers. This is now two games in a row where 
He's a true freshman. I don't want to get ahead of myself. He's been a little bit underwhelming. A guy who was the MVP by all accounts of camp. Someone who really stuck out. Stuck out. Excuse me. Someone who I thought was going to come in and practice based on how he practiced, come in and really make an impact and play. I just wonder if the USC staff, seeing what Rajon Davis was able to do, seeing what Shane Lee was able to do, maybe instead of just throwing Tackett Curtis out there, they'll maybe design a couple of packages for him where here, there, he's maybe in on third down or. Maybe a couple series he gets in, but then you take him off and, and you go over the tape. Uh, you have an assistant live in the game, t- call him from the booth and say, hey, you know, here's what I saw. What did you see? Kind of slow things down a little bit with him. He's only played about five quarters, so I might be getting ahead of myself with that. But I just wonder if the guy who who's practiced so well and by all accounts, like I said, was the MVP of camp, maybe the linebackers behind him who've played pretty well have bumped him a little bit and USC might change their strategy with Tackett Curtis. Yeah, it was interesting. We heard from Alex Grinch yesterday sort of about that. And uh, it's one of those things where, you know, he talked about, you're not the first guy in, you're kind of coming in later. Um, You don't want to be hitting high like that. And he had expressed his interest in having Tackett Curtis come in and throwing an uppercut. He's like, not at the player's (laughs) face. It was an uppercut at the ball. So like, if you're going to be the third guy in, you don't need to do like the death blow. You want to like try to get the ball out or something. And um, you know, it's one of those kind of freshman mistakes. And I think Lincoln Riley even addressed it too. Just like there's aggressiveness there, but you have to control it uh, a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Grinch had another, it was like a funny quip about him. I forget exactly what it was, but making some kind of joke about, you know, just keeping him under, like, he's just like hard to control him or something. I don't know. Do you remember exactly what that was? I, I remember the first thing about the punch. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just everyone has talked so much about, Curtis's aggression and like the tools are there. You can that hit, even though it was a targeting play and he got ejected, like he makes those big hits. He's going to in a couple of years and maybe it'll even start this year. Once he makes those hits legally, he's going to develop into the biggest hitter on this team. It's not a matter of if with him and doing that. It's a matter of when he's a heavy hitter. His uncle has talked about how he came to USC to try to push the defense over the top and get him to a national title caliber kind of defense. So he has high hopes. He has the ability to get there, the potential it just looks a little bit too quick for him right now. And I'm excited to see what he does against Stanford because if he does get a lot of run and he plays really well, I think, boom, all of our um, kind of concerns with him will, will go away, will vanish right away with one really good performance. Through two games, it's been so-so a little bit, but certainly if he plays really well going forward, we'll say that he played really well and the concerns will be gone. Yeah, for sure. And that's, uh, you know, you're going to get a conference game this weekend. Stanford was pretty terrible last year, but they, you know, won their opener. I think Troy Taylor is going to get them Going in the right direction. Uh, this is a dangerous opponent. USC still like a four-touchdown favorite, I think, or something. It got up uh, to 30 points, the latest I saw. Really? Yeah, wow. Let me, let me look uh, again. But that's, uh, you know, but we got to hear from, you know, Lincoln Riley and uh, hear from Alex Grinch sort of talking about, you know, Stanford's offense being a little different. Um, you know, they got, got a good, really good tight end. You know, they found their quarterback. He said David Bailey's a good pass rusher. There's some stars. There's some names that... USC fans should should recognize out there, but just uh, and I think it was Alex Grinch that was talking about you know the I formation the like the tight end like there's there was always this identity with Stanford football and this is a different looking um, you know group on that side of the ball and, you know talking to some guys and they're like yeah it's a little, it's more spread like this isn't the just line up and smash you in the mouth kind of stuff that Stanford was so good at. And, you know, guys like Christian McCaffrey going crazy or, you know, uh, Andrew Luck and so many stars that they've had, the offensive linemen that they put in the NFL, like that's sort of dried up a little bit. But 
Uh, it's definitely the the vibe you got from talking to everyone yesterday was you know about this new look kind of Stanford team. That's why I'm so excited for this game. USC will still win by a lot of points. No one's going to debate that. But Stanford, like you said, Ryan, they actually have some guys who are going to get to the NFL, some guys who could cause some problems in the game against USC from an individual matchup perspective. David Bailey, the rush end for them, defensive end, he will line up over the right tackle. So Michael Tarquin or Mason Murphy, whoever's playing right tackle, will have their hands full with David Bailey. Outside linebacker, so athletic and drop back into coverage, but he really hits hard and he's best known for his pass rushing. He was at Modern Day in Southern California, Orange County, so a lot of USC fans will probably be familiar with him. USC recruited him, but ultimately he chose Stanford, and he is really, really talented. So this is the first real pass rusher that USC will face on the season. And then at the tight end spot, Ben Yurosik is another really talented player for the Cardinal, had I think nine catches for over 100 yards and a touchdown against Hawaii. We all know about USC struggles with tight ends dating back to last season. So that's another talking point. Who's going to cover Yurosik? What's the game plan with him? Can USC limit him? And they got a corner, Colin Wright, who is an NFL prospect as well. So for the first time all year, Chevin Cordero, San Jose State, Nick Nash, maybe those guys would get NFL looks down the line. Maybe they'll be a late draft pick. But finally, you're going up against a Sanford team that, while they aren't very talented, there's three guys right there who have high NFL draft potential and you really need to game plan for and account for. So that's exciting. Yeah, and I think, you know, with the whole Pac-12 being better, uh, I you know, there's going to be a lot of attention on this game, the first conference Pac-12 game. So someone's going to lose. Someone, the Pac-12 <laughs> yeah. won't be undefeated after this weekend. We know that. Uh, but a lot of really good games uh, across the Pac-12 with some some big names uh, coming into different um, stadiums, like looking at the, uh, you know, Oregon playing Texas Tech, uh, Utah playing Baylor. Um, just look, oh, uh, Cal's playing Auburn. Washington State's playing Wisconsin. Arizona State's playing Oklahoma State. Arizona's playing Mississippi State. What else I got there? Oh, Colorado, Nebraska. Like, there's a lot of, like, Power 5, Power 5 matchups. And it would be pretty big for the Pac-12 to have another good week. Like, it was a really good week, a lot of road wins. Um, you know, Mountain West schools and a few other teams, you know, that, you know, from the big 12, but this would be a really big week for the PAC 12. And then the one conference game is USC and uh, Stanford. But I feel like, you know, the big goal here is, you know, Lincoln Riley wants to win the conference in the final season. And if you go out and lay an egg against Stanford, like you're not going to get there. Like you, there's, there's so many tougher games. This is a stretch of three straight games against uh, opponents that have brand new coaches. Now we've seen Coach Prime, like they look like legit in year one. And Troy Taylor, I think he has Stanford better in year one, but you know, it's going to take some time. Kenny Dillingham, uh, they, you know, they played in a haboob, but you know, still <laughs> that was a three point win against an FCS school. Not exactly what you want to see. Uh, USC goes to Tempe to play that game uh, after the bye week. You know, Colorado is a big one that maybe we didn't think would be big uh, in the early part of the schedule, but really getting off your conference slate on the right foot uh, and then going into the bye week and then having nine straight games. You you really want to get like a sound win, a win that guys don't get hurt. It's resounding. And you go into the bye week and sort of just can kind of watch and see what develops from there. It's So I think it's a really important game to get things going. And, it, you know, potentially the last time you play Stanford in the foreseeable future. So uh, I think there is a lot on this game. It's definitely important, and USC against San Jose State, we talked a lot about how they treated it like a glorified exhibition, a scrimmage with a lot of guys getting run, and the offensive line starting a freshman, 
Coach Henson said he didn't do that to light a fire under any players on the line. So I'm not going to call him a liar, but I felt like that had to play a part of it a little bit that he wanted to really show, hey, guys who transferred in here, just because you came in here highly touted doesn't mean anything. You still have to earn your spot. So a lot went into that first game. Second game against Nevada, a little bit cleaner with the substitutions. And later in the game, the reserves, the true freshmen especially, really played well. So I think USC, the ramp up to the season, we've talked so much about the season starting really easy. We'll just call it as it is. The San Jose State game to Nevada game, that jump, the team definitely took one. And now can they continue to take a jump against an easier Pac-12 opponent in Stanford before the bye week, like you said, Ryan? And then it all begins with nine straight games. So I think one interesting point going into this one is just can USC continue that ramp up? Start a little slow against San Jose State, put the pedal to the floor against Nevada. Can that pedal stay down against the first Pac-12 team of the year? Yeah, and I don't think there's a lot of concerns about Oh man, what about that that drive where Caleb threw a couple incompletions and they? <laughs> no, um, you know what's funny? Like USC only faced uh, well, all, every drive was like four plays, five plays. It was fifty four total plays, and you know a lot of them came in garbage garbage time. But six hundred sixty eight yards. I mean, to average twelve point four yards a play is crazy. But USC faced six third downs, only converted two of them, and they had averaged over ten yards per third down like that you know when they got to a third down it was like not in good they weren't in good shape you were like third and long every time but they just didn't face a lot of third downs because they would go like first down first down first maybe second down first down they just didn't face that many third downs it was that was kind of a weird sort of stat from where things were going watching the game back it seemed evident that Lincoln Riley for whatever reason saw something on tape with Nevada I think that just led to him having a pass-first approach in this game. They did not run the ball as much as I expected, and I think sometimes that played into why they wouldn't convert those third downs in the first half with Caleb Williams because Lincoln Riley was taking shots on first and second down, and then they wouldn't work. Those were the few plays where it didn't work in a game that USC hit on a lot of big plays. So I think the game plan had a little bit to do with that. If you don't hit on first and second down and then you face a third and long you know it's 50 50 either pick it up or you don't it's one play and I I think that Caleb Williams got a little frustrated on some plays and just the the play calling I thought was interesting USC really wanted to throw the ball and sometimes you know they just don't complete passes and they did for the most part but there were a few drives that broke down yeah you looked against uh, San Jose State it was about even I think it was like 37 runs 37 passes or something there were a couple sacks but whatever but it was close this was 20 rushes and 34 passes. So, um, yeah. Like, did you feel like if you just were like, you know what, we're going to like run Marshall and Lloyd like into the line of scrimmage for like eight straight plays and maybe you score in seven, you know, play seven. Like you're probably going to, they were just picking up chunks, but they weren't really going to that very often. Um, so that, that was kind of interesting. Like you said, maybe Lincoln Riley just saw something. And they wanted to throw the ball more. Um, I wonder if it was injury-related, too. If you run the ball a lot, maybe the, you run the risk of getting a running back hurt or an offensive lineman hurt, whereas if you're just throwing it, ideally Caleb Williams gets it out of his hands in a second or two, and the line isn't tested that much. I know there were a few plays where he ran around, and that theory went out the window, but if you're throwing it, that could give those skill guys and the linemen a little bit more of a break if Caleb gets the ball out of his hands quicker. So I, I don't know if that played into it. We'd have to ask the coach about that maybe Thursday so uh, we can get more into that. But I just thought it was interesting how much they were passing it against a clearly inferior opponent. Yeah, and Austin Jones like looked like he got, was it slow to get up or whatever, and then we didn't see him back in. I think they took his helmet off or something. So we didn't really get an update on that, right? We haven't heard um, anything there. So uh, we'll see. I mean, it's a deep 
uh, running back room. Guys are going to get banged up. You know, hopefully if, if he was injured, then he's back soon. Uh, but yeah, you could have probably just ran Marshawn Lloyd and Quinton Joyner, um, who had a really nice uh, touchdown run in this one. But you could have run those guys, I think, quite a bit and uh, probably been fine. But for whatever reason, the, the game plan wasn't exactly that. So that's sort of like, um, you know, where they were going with it. But it's tough, too, because when you only get 54 plays, like that's just not a lot. And what are you going to do? But they were scoring so quickly. You're like, okay. Like, I mean, it's hard to complain about what's, what's going on there, but I don't think the, the clock, especially when you're scoring that quickly, the clock rule, the new clock rules don't impact it that much. Um, Lincoln Riley was asked about that uh, yesterday and it was kind of, you know, his sort of measured approach. Like, is it this like, you know, game altering, you know, he liked it the way it was, you know, there was like, it was a great sport, like didn't really need to mess with it. But he didn't feel like it was something that's like made everything, you know, change how you like design your plays or call the game or anything like that. Chip Kelly made more headlines when he said that first half against Coastal Carolina went back so fast. We only had like four drives. I hope you sell a lot of commercials, he said to the ESPN reporter, something like that. Yeah. So he's clearly more upset about it. Lincoln Riley, a little upset, but yeah, he doesn't really seem to care. And when he was asked about that previously, he said Cliff Kingsbury coached in the NFL and they don't stop the clock after first down, so he's been helpful. We have him to, to to guide us through this as well. It really doesn't seem like it's that big of a concern for Riley, and I guess if your offense can score that fast, why would it be? We'll see as USC ramps up on the schedule and they get some tougher games. Maybe they would have wanted a few more plays against like a Notre Dame or a Washington or Oregon, um, but for right now, Riley doesn't seem that upset about it. He did say the product was fine before. Why change it? Right. Uh, but he doesn't really, it's not like a big concern of his. He, he, he's not that up in arms over it. Yeah. This, the Chip Kelly quote was funny. I actually mentioned that to David Woods when our, on our podcast of champions. And he was like, you know, David covers UCLA. He was sort of like, well, it's not like Chip Kelly didn't know that the rules had changed. <laughs> like it's one of those things where like, this is what it's going to be, you know? And it was just sort of like him coming in like, Oh, and I don't think that's why, I mean, they were giving up a lot. They were giving up a lot of first downs to Coastal Carolina. So, like it, you know, USC was getting three and outs and scoring quickly. You're going to get, you know, there was a lot of possessions in this game. There just, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of plays because everything was happening very fast. Um, but I think in the game for Chip Kelly, like there was a lot of driving and not a lot of scoring, and so there was time of possession going away. Uh, but you weren't getting guys off the field and getting the ball back. So I think that's probably a bigger reason why. But yeah, Dave was funny. He was just like. You, you know what these rule changes were. It's not like this is a shock. Like, what's what's going on? I thought the clock would stop on first down. Like, and, and with Chip Kelly, he right now is not named a starting quarterback. He's named three guys. So he wants as many plays as possible to evaluate the yes. guys and, and be able to make a decision, even though I watched some of that game. It, it's pretty Chip clear, Kelly knows it? offense way better than I do, but I don't know how after that first game it's not Dante Moore's job. Yeah, and they didn't even get their third quarterback. No, I know. I felt, I felt bad all week. Yeah, we're going to play three. We're going to play three. And then I think, what's his name? Colin Schley, he didn't get it. And now Chip's saying against San uh, San Diego State, he'll get in for sure. But uh, how can you say that after you struggled against your first opponent and you couldn't get all three? And I'd say the plan is we're going to go with all three, but I wouldn't guarantee anything after that first I think game. you want to go with Dante Moore. He looks the best out there. He's young. I mean. He was my MVP of the Elite 11, two Elite 11s ago. I, I thought. He, he was amazing. So when he ended up switching from Oregon to uh, UCLA, I was really excited. Yeah. All right. Uh, any other th thoughts on what we saw yesterday at practice or heard at practice or heading into this uh, Stanford game, Connor? From yesterday, I, I just thought 
Tackett Curtis, even though he didn't talk, what Shane Lee and what Alex Grinch said about him stuck out. And it seems like they're going to continue to give him an opportunity. I didn't take away anything from what they said yesterday that he'll lose his starting role or he'll be more limited, which is what I said maybe they should try earlier in the podcast. I don't necessarily think that they will do that, but I thought that was interesting. And I think heading into this game against Stanford, when you can still try some things out, and it looks like a lot of the linebackers are going to be able to play, I just wonder what it's all going to look like because now you've had some game tape and you've had some guys make a few mistakes here and there. Who's going to play? Who's going to start? I'm really going to be looking closely at the linebackers. Yeah, I would say um, how that plays out is going to be something that's important. And I feel like you can, whatever happens on Saturday, Saturday night, by the way, 7.30 p.m. is going to be a late one. Uh, whatever happens on Saturday, I think you're going to get a feel for what, you know, kind of the rest of the season plan is going to be because Stanford might be overmatched, but it's still a conference game. So I feel like if if Lincoln Riley was treating these as sort of preseason games uh, where you're trying different combinations and seeing if this guy works here or there and, and how do they play together and all that, my guess is you're going to see kind of less of it. But with... You know, the, the offensive line aspect of that, where we saw different lines, Junior Kenyori sort of changes the math because that's one less body you'd have to move in and out. But you could argue Rajon Davis and Shane Lee sort of changed the math on the, the defensive side too because if you really loved Gentry and you loved Cobb and Taka Curtis and that was going to be your starting three, I think both of those guys showed that they deserve playing time on Saturday too. So maybe things got a little more complicated uh, at that linebacker spot. And like you said, watching to see where they sort of like play out and do they all get to play? I don't know. It's it, it, There's some interesting decisions to be made, but if you're Rajon Davis, you have to be pretty happy with how you performed. And, you know, if that's what gets you playing time. I mean, it seems like he earned it. Same with Shane Lee, who's been around for a long time and just played really well. I wonder if the coaching staff looks at it like those two linebackers did impress me and, and they do deserve a uh, uh, increase in playing time based on what they did against Nevada, or if everyone's healthy, they'll say, that was against Nevada. Let's go with the guys who've earned it during fall camp. And nice job by Shane, nice job by Rajon, but there are still guys ahead of them. I think that's interesting. And uh, are we going to talk a little bit about the the Stanford game, or are we going to questions right now, Ryan? I had one other quick Stanford. Yeah, point. yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's do a little Stanford. I do think it's interesting. Ashton, Ashton Daniels, their quarterback, he's going to have some design runs in this game. And that's a little bit different than what Chevin Cordero with San Jose State did. They had a few, but he was more of a guy who would just scramble. And if the passing play broke down, he'd take off. Ashton Daniels is going to run on some plays that Tra uh, Troy Taylor calls. He's going to yeah, take off. Like design runs. Yeah, exactly. So how USC accounts for that, I'm excited to see if someone will spy the quarterback or if they're just confident in their front that can make a stop against an inexperienced quarterback and an inexperienced offensive line. I'll be looking at that. So – that's really cool. And then Stanford gets really tricky against Hawaii. They had a couple of flea flickers. So I expect Troy Taylor to, to bring out everything he's got in this game in terms of trick plays. I wouldn't even be surprised if they do an early onside kick or something like that. This guy in his past at Sacramento State, he even coached in high school at Folsom High, was great up in Northern California. He's always pulled some tricks out of his sleeve. So that's something to watch too. Yeah, I think this is a uh, – if you look at Stanford over the years and they gave USC fits, they were very good for a really long time. And I think David Shaw was a good coach, but I think the sort of things were changing. The landscape of college football changed. And 
and Shaw was not willing to change. Like he was going to keep doing the same thing. Like you can't go three in this modern age of college football. You can't go three and nine and not fire somebody on your staff. You have to make changes. We, we saw Brian Kelly do this at Notre Dame. They had a four and eight season and wholesale changes. And then, you know, I think two years later they were in the playoff. Like it's, you have to do stuff like that. And I feel like the way Shaw was handling things towards the end, um, just there was this defiance of like, no, I'm doing things my way. Like this is my staff. And it doesn't matter if like the offense went from here to here and just was terrible or it, he kept everybody the same. And I feel like you had a few years of that um, three and nine back-to-back years or whatever. There was a lot of players just needed some something new. You needed uh, new blood in there, and you know, get him out, bring in someone like Troy Taylor who's going to reinvigorate the program. You know, they brought in a few transfers. I mean, last year was hilarious. I, I, you weren't around. Um, I forget who I was talking to. Oh, it was oh the I think it was Jackson Moore who covers Stanford and Cal for us uh, on twenty four seven Sports. And I forget the player's name, but when Lincoln Riley came over. Uh, brought a few players with him, but not everybody. And there was a a star, I believe it was a linebacker for Oklahoma that gra- that was graduating, applied to Stanford, like this isn't football related, just applied to Stanford on his own, got in, shows up on campus, knocks on David Shaw's door. This is like a guy that was like all conference or whatever. And it's like, hey, I played football for the last few years at Oklahoma. Can I, and I'm, I'm in school. Can I come on? Like, that, can I come on the team? That was like the only transfer they got, like something that just literally fell into their laps. They did no work for. And now I think they've got like six transfers. There was at least a few. Um, it's just really been tough. And they lose a lot of guys that, you know, for that could be in graduate programs. Like, you know, Miller Moss graduated already. He's at a graduate program at USC. If he was at Stanford, he'd probably have to go somewhere else. It's hard for them to kind of, you know, for all that to work. So I feel like the university and the, the athletic department wasn't really embracing it. And Shaw was someone that was just like, I'm doing things my way and things got really stale there. And so now fresh set of eyes, it's just, it's all kind of brand new. It's not to the same level as like coach prime and the excitement there, but I feel like there's, you know, rejuvenated excitement, you know, in Palo Alto now with Troy Taylor there and just, they needed they needed like to turn the page and they finally were able to do that. And hopefully joining the ACC also helps them change the way they do things over there. I know it's Stanford and they won't totally change, but that has to be kind of a slap in the face, a wake up call like, hey, things are different. We're in the freaking ACC now. Yes. We we have to do football differently. And I wonder Troy Taylor what the conversations were like when he was hired regarding the future of the Stanford program. Are they going to compromise and help them with transfers a little bit more. I think what you said, six. So still not to the level of a lot of first year coaches and it's Stanford. So that makes sense. It looks like they're already changing a little bit, but will they do stuff in the future to become even more similar to a regular college football team? Because it's so hard to compete with those academic standards and not taking transfers. And wasn't there a story where they had a great strength coach and then he had to leave because he was too rigorous and Stanford was never really the same after that. I'm sure there are people listening who know a lot more about that story. Than yeah, I no, I, f- I forget his name. Uh, there was definitely allegations of the when Stanford was really good, Harbaugh and uh, and early Shaw, and there was there was allegations of like performance enhancing things and stuff going oh, okay. on there. But so maybe I don't it's good know. he's gone then. But. I don't know if that was true, but they definitely had heard stuff like that. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I just um, wonder if they're going to change in the future. Yeah. Um. 
Gordon says um, Stanford lost a lot of guys on the offensive line through graduation and transfers. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's been the, the theme is that Stanford's lost a lot of guys, you know? I talked to Austin Jones about it. And uh, when like this, I think it was, it might not even been in the spring when all this stuff was like the, you know, all the realignment stuff was kind of going crazy. And he's, he's like, I don't even, you know, he's been gone for a couple of years. He didn't really know many people there anymore. So a lot of guys left and guys don't stick around for five years usually because if they do, you know, they graduate in four or three and a half or something, um, they're, you know, they're just not able to, for whatever reason, like do some kind of graduate work there. And then they transfer someone else as a grad transfer. So that's unfortunate. You'd like to see them be able to, you call that like a regular football team, <laughs> just play like the game, like the sports changing. You cut, you have to change with it. Like you, and I also think you have to be a part of it, you know, and Stanford could with all the money, all the, the billionaires alumni and everything like that. So we'll see. I think, I don't, I don't think David Shaw was the guy to bring them into the next era, this next level era of college football. And, you know, hopefully if you're a Stanford fan, Troy Taylor is, but uh, I don't, I don't think they're going to be, you know, they're going to put up some resistance, but I think USC should handle business. But I, I like the direction at least that they're going, especially if they can play like regular football, like the, the with the rest of the people doing. They don't have too many highly ranked like stars in terms of their 2024 recruiting class right now, but they have a lot of guys committed. So it seems like they're not having a huge problem recruiting, which was a little bit of an issue under Shaw. I'm sure Stanford fans and college football fans across the country would say, okay, you know, they have like three, four star guys and the rest are three stars. But it seems like there's a plan and they are a destination for a lot of kids still. And if, if they can use that to their advantage, that could definitely help. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and uh, do some questions back in a minute. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. I always uh, make a little note where we take the break because I have to use that during editing. This is like how the sausage is made. And I write it down in our Google Doc, and it was like the exact same time as last week. So we timed it well, Connor. Not that anybody cares. <laughs> Great job. It's just like, oh, I don't have to change it. It's like the same. Uh, all right, we got a couple of emails. And then uh, um, anyone in the chat, if you're watching us live on YouTube, and we have, yeah, we have like 175 people in there watching. Nice. Thank you uh, for doing that. Please, We only have 30 likes. So, hey, everyone in the chat, if you're if you're watching on YouTube, hit that little like button, you know. And there's that little, um, 
bell. If you want to click on that, it will notify you when we go live. So uh, please hit that. And thank you so much for doing so. We want to see these uh, likes grow and grow. And that helps to grow the show and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, let's go to our first email. Uh, oh, you know what? We can do this. Three simple words. You've got mail. Woo-hoo! I always forget to play that. I love that one. Um, Frank in Sacramento. USC didn't need to use complex defensive stunts and blitzes to beat San Jose State or Nevada. They may need them to win in the second half of the schedule. They will need to use them in a playoff game. Best to practice them now rather than not at all. I don't think there's a question there, but it's a little statement. I don't know if you want to comment on that, Connor. Sure. I don't know if they did this exactly the way they're doing it last year, but on third down, it's interesting. They're using a faux linebacker, a corner or a safety. It was Christian Roland Wallace a lot against San Jose State and Zion Branch when Roland Wallace was suspended this past game against Nevada in the first half. So they're throwing a little bit of a complex look at some teams on third and fourth down. I'm sure that's just what they had planned to do against those teams, but I wonder if that sort of factors in, if that's something different than they did a year ago that they could or that they will use down the line. But I think that they're going to use a lot of those complex defensive schemes and plays in practice to not get them on film ahead of some of the bigger opponents. But I totally get the emailer wondering, hey, I'm skeptical of the defense based on last season. I want to see some of this stuff in action. I, I, I get that too. Well, then the people get critical against San Jose State late in the late in the first half. Uh, you run this play that the DVs oh, yeah, get great, confused. Great point. And you give up a touchdown. But, you're like, but, what why don't you just drop back in coverage? And what was so confused? I just I'm just con- confused about what was so concerning about that. Like yeah. the guy just ran straight down the field. How can you be confused about what coverage you're in? Yeah, I don't know. That was a weird one. Um, all right. Oh, you know what we didn't mention? Uh, Stanley T. Uh, I just want to give him a shout out. We got a good photo of it. If you're watching on YouTube, score the touchdown. Uh, that was a cool play. That was a, definitely a cool moment. Uh, for that to be USC's only turnover of the season so far is kind of interesting. But uh, shout out to Stanley, who not the best talker when we got to talk to him after the game, but he was happy, you know, getting that touchdown. It's always great when a big guy scores. What did Lincoln Riley say? When big guys score, football is more fun. So, football is more fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that was good. And then, uh, who? wait, who forced the fumble? Was it Shelby? Shelby? Shelby, yeah. So he And he spoke yesterday, too. So. Um, just a good looking young prospect. So Seriously, he is tall and jacked. He looks like an NFL guy already as a true freshman. Yeah, pretty crazy. All right, let's go. Next up, we have our buddy Curtis uh, on Raleigh Brown. If USC keeps him at running back, they can use him exactly as they did last year. Moving him to wide receiver will only limit his playing time. Move him back to running back before he transfers. Again, uh, more of a statement than a question, but any thoughts on uh, Raleigh Brown? I think that ship has sailed, and maybe part of the reason he transitioned to receiver was because he wasn't as good in pass protection as some of the other running backs, and that's so important as a running back. you got to be able to protect the quarterback and protect other players when you don't have the ball in your hand, so I wonder if that factored into it also. It is a interesting situation, though, just considering everything with it, because I know some fans and media were frustrated last year that he wouldn't run up the field. He would do a lot of running – um, horizontally instead of vertically getting up the field going a- across a little bit. So that was frustrating. And I don't know if that played into the the reason that he's a now a receiver. I, I, I'm sure it was other factors too. Um, but it, yeah, I think someone was always going to be unhappy on this offense as soon as the season started because there's so many talented players and only so many roles. And 
Relique Brown is the, the first victim to have to deal with that. It's unfortunate. It looks like he probably will redshirt, but nothing has been decided, it doesn't sound like, based on everything that I've heard. So I don't think, though, he'll switch back to running back. I think that's done. Yeah, I think that's sort of the path that we're on right now, like what Gary Bryant Jr. did last year, but I don't think it's like guaranteed. Guys get hurt. We've seen a lot of weird stuff happen um, throughout the season. But, yeah, there's uh, when the offense is this prolific and they're spreading it around as much as they are, like, it's going to be hard to keep everybody happy. Like, you know, Dorian Singer is doing a great job playing. You know, he's blocking. He's catching the ball when he's asked of him. But, you know, to go from this high volume of targets he had last year to not the same kind of thing this year, and maybe that changes when you get into conference play. But it's an adjustment for everyone. And so I think it's, you know, there's going to be some guys that are in tough spots. And if you get people even like a Kyle Ford that just is, you think is a really good player, they're just not able to, they're not good enough to get the kind of volume targets they want. And they're going to have to go somewhere else. And maybe you get it somewhere else. Um, but you're not going to be part of this like crazy good offense too. So I think there's some kind of give and take there. I'm interested to see when the NFL draft rolls around after this season, how evaluators look at Singer, Taj Washington, even Brendan Rice, guys who won't have eye-popping numbers because there's so many talented receivers on the team, but project as NFL players down the line, just what that looks like. If they don't have as much production, does that hurt their draft stock? Or in Singer's case, do evaluators look at what he did last year at Arizona and say, okay, he came into a different offense and yeah, the numbers aren't as good as they were at Arizona, but there's a reason for that. So does it not affect his stock? I I think that's going to be fascinating. We got a YouTube comment uh, from Oscar. Do you guys believe when USC plays Notre Dame, will ESPN game day be there? Um, I'd have to look at the rest of the schedule. I know that's Oregon at Washington week. So those two teams could be undefeated. Uh, USC and Notre Dame could be undefeated. Um, I don't know what else uh, is on the schedule for that week, but there's, you know, remember now there's also two. Um, That's going to be an NBC game. So it's not like it's on Fox or ESPN, but would ESPN want to be at an ESPN game? Would Fox want to be at a Fox game? Uh, I, I'm guessing Fox is going to have Oregon uh, at Washington, but I'm not sure. So maybe, you know, and I don't know, big noon kickoff. Do you want to do a, a game like that at nine in the morning? Uh, I don't like a West Coast game. I'm not sure, um, but we'll see. But NBC is definitely getting more involved in college football. They're doing their, uh, I got this Big Ten Saturday night now. USC will be a part of that starting in 2024. But I don't know, Ivan, have you looked at the rest of the schedule that week, Connor? I just pulled it up, and it actually looks favorable in terms of there aren't a ton of other matchups. You mentioned Oregon-Washington. The other big one is Texas A&M-Tennessee. So maybe yeah. they go to Tennessee if Texas A&M is, is better. But if Miami improves, they're playing North Carolina, I guess that could be something. I, I don't see another obvious game. Though, like Indiana's playing Michigan, the Arkansas's playing Alabama, Auburn, LSU. So some of the top in LSU just had a loss, so they'd probably be out of contention anyway. Yeah. A lot of those top top teams don't have a another top top opponent that week, so it's certainly possible. It's my dad's birthday that day. Oh, he nice. will be there. My whole family's traveling to that game. So if college game day is part of it, I think that would make his birthday extra special. I'm rooting for that. Happy birthday to uh, Papa Triple Double. double, (laughs) I'll I'll pass that along. Nice. Uh, All right. Next one is from DJ GQ. 
Uh, should there be any concern with our recent decommits? Um, he's talking about uh, Fagan's, um, Etete, and Fields. I just wonder if USC in the future, say they have a really good year, and the NIL stuff with some high school recruits not being able to pay them right now because they're still in high school, that's what USC is going to do. They've made that clear. If the transfer portal in the future, that's sort of how USC builds the team. Take guys like Anthony Lucas, Bear Alexander, really highly rated recruits who spent one year at a program, weren't happy, and then USC swoops in and gets them. Guys who are really talented who you'll have for two more years. So not the three, but guys you can develop who have multiple years left. I wonder if that's their strategy. Am I concerned? Not totally concerned. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a huge recruiting person to begin with. So I, I might not be the best person to ask that to, but I'm not, you know, a guy decommits here or there. I'm I'm more concerned if Lincoln Riley's not the coach. I'm more concerned if you have major inju- injuries to one of your key guys. I, I I think you can overcome a loss here or there in the uh, in the recruiting rankings. No, I I agree with you. And you know, listen to the Composite Two Star Recruits podcast. They got a lot of information uh, about all that, and they talk about it. But I think you know, the most important thing is you have Lincoln Riley as your head coach and they're able to build a team a d- number of different ways. I think he would love to be able to keep recruiting very high levels out of high school. And sometimes the game is tougher when uh, USC is going to places that other place that other universities are going to. Um, there's been a lot of rumors of people getting paid just to take a visit, not even to go to the school. So that's sort of like a world that USC isn't dipping its toes into, at least for right now. And, you know, I've talked with all the collectives and every single one of them has said the same thing about that. They're not playing that game and other places are. And, and, you know, but I feel like the trend is more towards the portal and um, it's moving that way. You know, markets, there might be some sort of interaction with Congress or the NCAA, but for the most part, like markets sort of correct themselves and we'll see. Um, it might be a case where USC sort of has to weather a couple of years of losing out on some high school guys because of their stance on NIL. And then a new rule comes in or something changes and they start playing that game or whatever it is. But I feel like this is you're kind of in this zone where a couple of years you're just sort of like feeling it out and uh, and try not to lose that bad on the high school front. Not get You're not going to get everybody, but try to get you know a really good class. And maybe it changes a little bit after that, but it's, uh, it's, I think some of it's just like your people are different schools are playing by different rules. Some are more strict than others. USC is playing the more strict version. And so you're probably going to lose out on some guys that uh, are like, Hey, I want to, you know, I'm coming out a visit. Uh, I need to be compensated for this. And that's not, that's not the world, I guess, USC and a lot, I mean, a bunch of other schools too are playing in. And Ryan, the culture on this USC team seems really, really good too. So I wonder if the coaching staff, yeah, they're disappointed that they lost some guys, but if maybe NIL guys or guys who weren't fully committed to begin with, how, how good for the culture are, are those players? USC wants guys who want to be there. And when you don't have Lincoln Riley as your head coach, you might have to take some recruiting risks and maybe do some shady NIL stuff or whatever just to get guys to come in. But when you have this coach who has such a great track record, you can afford to only bring in guys who want to play for him and buy into the vision and are all on the same page. So I, I think that plays into it too. All right. Next one up is Danny D has a trick on Fagan's been seen at practice at all twos, three scout team. Before we're not allowed to talk about where they're playing. <laughs> we were made that was, we, we got to see some scout team stuff. And then we were told on a text thread, like, 
Don't talk about any who is out there. So, uh, but I don't know. Have you seen them out there? I don't. I don't remember seeing him out there. I've seen him walk out to practice. We are allowed to talk about the depth chart. He's not on the depth chart, and I think that tells you everything you need to know. I wouldn't expect to see him this year. Yeah, uh, that kind of makes sense. Um, Eddie in Orange has a uh, new nickname alert. He says, uh, Jamil, quote, the prophet Muhammad, because number 10 is money. So he he's like a Muhammad fan. Do you like the prophet for... Prophet spelled P-R-O-F-I-T like that? Yeah. <laughs> I could see how that might be offensive to some people, but I think that's hilarious. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> good. Uh, yeah, he is money. Um, but yeah, it's a different kind of prophet, I guess you'd say. Uh, Cameron wrote in, let's see, and it was, what are your thoughts on Caleb's father's statement about him staying for another year to not be stuck with a bad NFL team? I think it's fascinating. What a fascinating comment to make. And that adds a whole nother layer of intrigue to the season now. Caleb Williams, could he come back next year? Don't rule it out. His dad said so. I wonder if they could pull it off because we all remember Eli Manning pulling it off. But how does Eli Manning pull it off, get drafted by a team or almost get drafted by a team and say, there's no way in heck I'm going there by having your dad be an NFL legend, a guy who knows the process, who can pull strings. So I wonder if Caleb Williams' dad, his family, his team, in this day and age, do they have that kind of power with athletes having more power than when Eli Manning was going through the process? Maybe, but I just think Archie Manning, having him as your father, that was the trump card. That's why he was able to do what he did, and I wonder if Caleb Williams is able to do that as well. He might not even declare, though, and then we won't even have to get to that point. If he does declare, I imagine he'll just go to whatever team is the number one pick, but if... He doesn't, then they don't want, like, maybe to avoid that whole situation, he just doesn't declare. I don't know. I kind of find that hard to believe, but it certainly makes the season even more interesting. Yeah. I mean, the problem is if you're like, okay, well, man, this team is really terrible and they're drafting number one. I don't want to go there. I'm going to come back to USC. I can make a lot of money with NIL and everything. Guess who's going to draft you the next year? Another terrible team. Like, that's like you, that's who the first pick is. Um, You know, maybe there's some trades or something and, and people play around with it. I I mean it would be it would be kind of shocking but it wouldn't be like the most shocking thing ever um you know we've seen guys come back in different eras like you know Matt Barkley or you know Matt Leinart and stuff and and you could argue oh they would have went higher in the draft and all that like I I don't think he's going to hurt his draft stock unless he gets like hurt I mean everyone kind of knows who he is but if there's somebody that's just like I'm on three different commercials during like you know uh college game day He's making plenty of money in college, and if he's enjoying it, and it's like, man, I'd rather do this than play for the Arizona Cardinals. Like, maybe you would, you know. And and depending on what they do, uh, I mean, what if he wins the Heisman again? He's like, I'm going to win three. I think it would be a hard time for anyone voting for him to win a third time. But holy cow, that would be something crazy. But if he's able to win the Pac-12 and maybe go to the playoff and lose in the first round, and wants to really try to win a national championship, he's talked about that. I mean. It would be shocking, but not like the most shocking, I guess. Matt Leinart was eligible for the draft the year before he went, right? Yes. So yeah. what what was that like? Because I feel like that's a little bit similar. I think, though, Caleb is that guaranteed Andrew Luck, number one prospect, can't miss. Even Trevor Lawrence you could throw in there. And I don't think we've ever seen that guy not go to the draft. But was Matt Leinart was a damn good quarterback, obviously. I don't think as a prospect he was 
that same level. But what what was that like, Ryan? Because that's similar. No, it, yeah, he uh, you know he could have stayed. You know, they stay, stuck around. I mean, he wasn't starting until like the might have been his redshirt sophomore year or something. Or um, and there I have, was a, I have one other point too before we move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was it was uh, it was interesting. You know, Reggie Bush. You know, being there and them being able to have like this you know, amazing team. And they were, you know, go on that 34 game winning streak and all that. It was a big deal. So like something like that, where like the team's having a lot of success and maybe doesn't, you know, fall short of the playoff or losing the first round of the playoff, there could be motivation to kind of come back and, uh, or, you know, run it back, do it again. I don't know. I mean, that's, it would be a really interesting, you know, huge story in college football. And, uh, you know, what if he finishes like second or third in the Heisman? Cause it's hard to repeat. But then he comes back and you're like, well, now we can vote for it. Like sometimes you just don't want to vote for him because, you know, I'm a voter, right? And you're like, ah, it, I don't want to vote for that guy again. There, there's there's going to be some apathy sort of like that. But if he comes back a third, you know, for another year and like kills it, like people are going to be like, well, he didn't win last year, last year. I mean, he won two years ago. So, let's, you know, they, it could open up a whole bunch of really interesting and unique things if, if he did something like that. As the roster is currently constructed, the guy is leaving – it won't be as good, obviously, as the team Matt Leiner returned to. But the transfer portal changes everything. So if he does want to come back and he does come back, it's Caleb Williams. Imagine all the guys in the portal. They'll just jump to play with him. So I think that's interesting, too. The team is losing a lot of important guys to the draft or to just they're exhausted their their eligibility and they have to move on. But if Williams comes back, maybe will some of those guys who could enter the draft decide to stay? Would that affect the transfer portal in a way that you get a lot of studs who want to play one more year with Caleb Williams, and then you really load up for that last season because there's no way he would play another year after that? Right. That's interesting, too. I think it changes. It totally changes the complexion of what USC does in the transfer portal. I wonder if it changes other guys' minds on the team. It's just, it's just fascinating to talk about. It's a perfect podcast discussion. It is awesome to talk about. And, yes, it's great for a podcast. It would make the portal that year much more interesting because there are places with guys that have played for a long time, like like Jack Sullivan, you know, you're at Purdue. Like, you're not having a lot of success. I got a chance to go to USC and, like, make the college football playoff and, you know, for my final year and play with the Heisman winner and all that kind of stuff. If the Heisman winner comes back for another year, how many transfers do you want to get in here that are, like, seniors, one year of eligibility left is like, I'd much rather go out. Um, you know, it's like when the Lakers sign like an aging uh, superstar and they're trying to get one, you know, get a ring before you're done. You could see a lot of guys that are coming from Iowa States of the world or North Carolina States, something like that. And they're just like, they were stud, super productive. And they want to come here and try to win a ring in their very last season. So I think it would change recruiting a lot. You would get some guys that really wanted to just come in and play with Caleb for one last year. So. Which is what happened this year. And I wonder, yeah. it remains to be seen, but what will it look like for USC with so many transfer portal guys coming in and playing big roles? What will it look like down the stretch? Because if USC kind of you know, skids out down the stretch and they have all these transfers, maybe Caleb Williams looks at it like, we tried that last year, I'll just go to the NFL. I think that's another angle to it as well. We got one uh, from Eddie. How fast did Connor grow back the beard? My goodness. <laughs> He's going to look like ZZ Top by the Utah game. He shaved this morning, right? Is that, is that that's the <laughs> yeah, intel I got? Good one. Um, <laughs> I think probably – I'm like shave every two weeks, so I'm getting very close to shaving it again. You'll get it back? Okay. 
Um, Michael says, who do you think is going to be a first round draft pick outside of Caleb Williams? I think Jonah Monheim has a really good chance. Kalen Bullock is someone who's been mentioned. I bet he is a second round pick. If I had to guess right now, of course, so much can change. But I think Jonah Monheim is the most likely to be a first round pick. Yeah. All right. Oh, and Blackie Chan, wanted to, he, uh, I don't see the comment right now. He wanted to give a shout out to Caleb Williams has his own podcast, too. So I haven't listened to it yet, but I want to check it out. I've got some emails about it and stuff. But yeah, I guess uh, Caleb Williams is doing his own podcast. So that's kind of cool. Um, another one of those things where, I don't know, it could help him stick around. Uh, I mean, he's he's living sort of professional life at USC right now, uh, you know, and I don't know if you could do that if he was in like, you know, Tallahassee or Lincoln, Nebraska. I don't know if he could. I do think eventually there is going to be a situation where the NIL is so good and the team is so bad that you're potentially getting drafted by that the guy does elect to stay. I think that's coming. I don't know if Caleb Williams will be the first guy. If the Cardinals get the first pick, Ryan, do you think Cliff Kingsbury saying, screw them, they fired me, don't go there, stay another year? Yeah, I don't think he'd say that, but you know what I mean. Would he? Would he joke around? I mean, you get, you get some good advice, and that's someone that he talks to quite a bit. So maybe that's where this is coming from. That it's looking like Arizona could be that team. <laughs> Before and Kingsbury, Kingsbury's like, dude, you don't want to go yeah, there. That owner's man. terrible. Um, will Kingsbury be back next season? Is another interesting question. Yeah, um, I think he's been super helpful. I mean, if Caleb Williams came back, maybe yeah, he would yeah, want to come not? back. Like, I'll come back too. I'm getting paid lots of money by the Cardinals. So like, this is, you know, this is fun. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to be, uh, it. I know we got to get you over to practice. Um, and, uh, yeah, good stuff. But thanks uh, again, Connor, for coming in. Oh, my pleasure. Always, always great talking to you. This was a great show. It was. And thanks you everyone for, uh, watching us on our YouTube channel. Um, really appreciate that. Oh, look, look, like I almost got 200 people there watching. So thank you so much. Uh, hit that like button on your way out. That does, that does help. And if you're listening uh, across our podcasting platforms, that's awesome as well. Um, we do appreciate that. And uh, we'll have a Thursday night Tunnel Vision show previewing USC and Stanford. Is the plan still you, me, and uh, Jack Connor for that one, or is it for Thursday? If, I don't know if Chris wanted to do that one or not. I have to check. I'll check with him and see if he does. Uh, uh, he can take my spot for sure. I have to write some takeaways from the media availability that week. But if not, I'm happy to be here too. Love All right. doing these. But we will do a tunnel vision preview and then back Sunday night for a tunnel vision um, recap of what's going on and you know what happens in the USC Stanford game. But for Connor Morissette, the triple double threat, I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed the show and we will talk to you next time. If it seems like the crew at your neighborhood Trader Joe's is having fun, it's probably because we are. And now we're having fun on a podcast, too, called Inside Trader Joe's. Let's talk about what makes Trader Joe's Trader Joe's. The products, the customers, the crew. Why is everybody so nice? It's like, because they are. Because they are. Inside Trader Joe's is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. And thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 